Welcome to The Brew, where we meet people from all walks of life who share their amazing stories. This is episode six, James Pitar, a blind ultramarathon swimmer and a gentle giant whose optimism and determination got him through swimming the English Channel. And as he told me, his only goal was to just swim straight. Here's James. I am very lucky and we've just made a hot chocolate, so we've enjoyed that part of the brew. <laughs> Mr. James Patar, welcome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit very briefly about you. You're an ultramarathon swimmer, but is that how you describe yourself? Um, I would describe myself, yeah, as an open water swimmer, an ultra open water swimmer. Um, I've done lots of swims. I started mainly in, or started originally in, in the swimming pool events, which was, I, I found very easily on that I was never going to be very good at sprinting um, and 400 metres was the longest event in the Paralympics for the blind. So I just went into to open water swimming, I just loved it. I loved how it didn't matter how quick or slow you were, um, I was a one-paced um, slow swimmer and I just loved, the thing I loved the most and I still do to this day is getting out there in the ocean and getting hit by waves and currents and sand and occasional blue ball I don't really like but it happens um, and just the the amount of different things happens every time you go out there it's I think marathon swimming is a bit like um, yachting like the Sydney to Hobart it's a simple sport it's just about in a boat in the ocean or it's about you just swimming you never get the same conditions every time and I just love love being out there okay so so James I'm gonna pick up on one word simple mm-hmm. you think it's a simple sport it's a simple sport in that you get in a pair of speedos, cap and goggles. Yeah. Um, obviously, for me, it's a bit more not simple because I need someone to kite for me and blow the whistles. Um, and I'll explain that for me to be able to swim in the ocean, I need someone beside me blowing the whistles. And we have because in case any of our <laughs> listeners haven't picked up no, yet, yeah. you're the, blind. That's correct. Yeah, I'm blind. You are really blind. Correct. You can't see anything. That's right. Yes. So, and you love open water swimming. Mm-hmm and you don't know where you're going. No, and that, that sometimes is the beauty because that's your good old mate's problem on the boat or on the kayak. <laughs> and, and delegation. At, delega- and at, at the end of a long swim like the English Channel or Catalina Channel, my team is more distraught than I am because they're doing calculations, they're doing kick counts and stroke counts and encouraging you along and feeding you and water feeding you and, and trying to get you through the bad bits. It's they're the ones who feel like the they're, they're the ones who are probably worse at the end than you are. I mean, I'm physically um, beaten at the end, but you're not like, you know, my, my coach, she sat still in the boat for 14 hours in English Channel and she was like swaying at the end when we got back on land. How do you know she was swaying? Because I was holding onto her shoulders <laughs> and we were going from left to right. And I'm thinking <laughs> she, she was, I think she was still swaying the next day, you know, and, and they're the things you don't you don't think about because all I do is get in there and swim and, and I can't tell if the, the, the great, um, great the white cliffs of Dover are still there because I can't see them and that's a good thing. Psychology is a good thing because you don't know where you are and you don't have to worry about where you, you just keep on swimming. That's your group's problem and um, how they then get around to encourage you or psychologically get you through a particular time is, is what they've got to do. And, one of my mates in the Martha's Vineyard swim from Martha's Vineyard to Nantucket Island he got in and it was so shallow that he pretended he was swimming but he was actually walking along and flapping his arms 
Which, um, is your, was your mate blind as well? No, but he knew I couldn't see what he was doing. So it was fine. He, he was did. fibbing. Yeah, he told me that afterwards, but it did the job. That's he not thought, very cool. No, I thought it was quite funny, actually. I thought it was, um, you know, that's exactly what you should be doing. He was in there having a go. He was beside me and he, he was having a bit of a laugh. We were all having a laugh. And I think, um, to me, it was, as I said, it's to me, I just get out there and swim. And, you know, that's what I enjoy. <laughs> um, you know, you've you got the wind with you one way and not the next and all the wind at different angles all the time and... You know, and, and you have to use the wind. Well, I do have to use the wind because that's also directional. You know, you're swimming in the wind and you know you're swimming into it and you can feel it, then you're swimming in a straight line, which for me is, you know, like you might say this swim with English Channel is 45 k's, but I'll probably swim 50 because I don't swim in a straight line. I swerve all over the place. You know, I'm hearing a whistle probably once every, probably three times a minute. So you've got someone in a kayak near you yeah. with a blowing a whistle to try and keep you straight? Correct, yes. So it's like one long blast to, to veer left and two short ones to veer right. And then um, we have a bit of a joke that three long blasts is for a shark, um, but I haven't heard the three long blasts yet, so that's quite good. So at that point, should there be three long blasts signalling <laughs> that there is a shark near you? Correct, yes. What is, what is the definition of a shark near you, James? <laughs> well... Only once like, have I been, well, I think within sight distance for everyone else, you know, and sometimes... Um, so do they run and, and, and paddle away faster or is the object to save you? I think the, the object <laughs> is to save me and it did happen once in an event from Manly Wharf through the heads and into Manly Beach where um, I was ready for a drink break and my mate said, no, on the jet ski, no questions. Two eight-foot tiger sharks swim cancel. Don't ask any questions. On you go, and that was it. <laughs> and you didn't. You you did heed that advice. And I not did indeed. Ask questions. Yes. No, I didn't ask. I was on the jet ski and in the IRB and around to Manly Beach. And he said, "Right, well done." <laughs> so we're going to backtrack a little bit now. Sure. Your parents. Yes. What do they do for a living? Well, my my mum and dad. Um, I'm. Um, you'll find this ironic. My dad. Um, uh, was he's now retired five years ago? Was an ophthalmologist surgeon for um, 47 years. He's an eye doctor. Um, and my wife and my mother, sorry, was an orthoptist who treated people with eye problems. So yes, they did well to have a blind son, didn't they? So yes. Um, but I'm sure it was um, a tough experience for them. Absolutely, very tough for Dad, um, especially my eye disease, which is. Uh, retinitis pigmentosa, which is a disease that destroys the retina, the back part of the eye, and, and um, it for them it was hard because it's, it's mainly a hereditary style um, disease, and therefore you need to have both of you have the particular gene for it to happen. So yeah, uh, you know it's about a one in five thousand chance for that to happen, and that happens. So. But you were born sighted. That is correct. Yes, I was. Yes. And you had an early childhood, in fact you're in high school and everything is normal. That is correct, yes. Yes, I went to the Shaw School at North Sydney. And then was it a gradual situation? How did you suddenly start to walk a path of where you were losing your sight? Um, I started firstly not being able to see at night time, which is always the first start of it, or the first signs of retinitis pigmentosa is you don't have any night vision. Um, for those who don't know, the main thing about red eyes pigmentosa is for those who have um, stable sight or able-bodied sight, that um, the rods and cones, when they go, they regenerate. Well, mine don't. So eventually you lose all the rods and cones and you destroy the retina. Um, so that was the first sign of things. I suppose it would have been about 
10 when that first started happening, 10, 11. I'm trying to think back to, yeah, that'd be about right. And then... Six, so did you make a comment to your parents that I can't see at yeah, night? Yeah, I think I did. And I think that they were probably probably didn't tell me much because they probably knew where that might end up, you know, and I can understand them both being eye in the eye business. Um, and then it started... I just started finding it harder to read things at school. I probably was in second form, third form. Third form was when it really started going downhill. That was a real start of the bad time, when it started going downhill, I and, suppose. And, and was that a rapid deterioration at that point? It, it, it became rapid because it, it sort of, overnight, you sort of started going down rapidly downhill. So yes, yes, it did. And I started using what they call like reading machines that would blow the print up of of textbooks and started using them um, at that point in time when I still had some eyesight. So it was like in the HSC I still wrote exams but I did them under like a reading machine which blew up the print um, while you were writing. So I had still had some eyesight to do the, the high school certificate. Um, but So you finished high school? I did, yeah, year 12. I was lucky enough to get through and survive. <laughs> I think that's all year. I, I still remember my mate at school after the first week of year 11 and I thought that took so much out of me and he said yeah mate one week down 79 to go well and thanks th- for that and i thought that's a very comforting statement <laughs> <laughs> i don't need you to tell me that information um and i think that was probably you know year 12 for me was all about just trying to survive i i, I don't think um i knew i wouldn't go to uni so but i just wanted to make sure i um did justice my parents money and time that they put into me so i think it was probably a bit more pressure as well but I got there in the end, and that was the main main focus. Yep. Um, completing your HSC, yep. how are your parents dealing with you, and how are you dealing with your parents? Well, when I started losing about 16, I probably was a very not a nice person to my parents. Yep. I think for them, they obviously could understand the ramifications because they're in that type of business and, and the eyes and knew what it was all about. My dad was fantastic in relation to trying to find any machine that could be of assistance, different reading machines, different appliances, um, he, he was just magnificent in finding different things and I, I think the times he took me to different things, techno, technology type things that were going at that point in time at the Blind Society and so forth around was, was magnificent. I think he really poured a lot of time into that. It was just getting through that process and, and I think that we, we managed it well in the end um, and I, I lived with my parents till I was 35 until I met my wife. and. Um, the you know I think we we had a really good relationship that with, first two or three years was with your mum too yes with mum and and I think but you know and mum was always very um, I suppose f- philosophical she came from England um, or sorry she was born in Kenya but lived a lot of life in Scotland England and I remember her saying to me you're very lucky because you live in a country where you have a lot of sunlight and you know I was I was sunlight was important to when I had some eyesight she said. You're lucky. If you're in England, you'd probably be having six months of, you know, not being able to use the sun as a help, you know, when you're reading things and so forth. So I, I remember that as a, a really good thing to come back to me was that, yes, how fortunate I was to live in Australia where you do have good conditions. It's not overcast and dreary for six, eight months of the year. And I think that was... So she was very good and she was always there and around and always very protective, I think. As any parent is, is wanting to do to Correct. make sure that you're... Yeah. Right. So... You finished high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you're starting to be maybe not so bratty to your parents. <laughs> you're leaving. You're leaving some of those teenage years behind um, you. Yeah. 
you said you were never going to go to uni. Yep. You never went to uni? I never went to uni. I went and did a, a training course at a place that probably is still no longer, is probably not there, called um, NADA, which used to stand for National Association of Disabled Office Workers. Now, it may still well be there in St Leonard's. I don't know that. Um, that was in 1988, so I can't, don't know about that. But um, <coughs> I went there for six months. Yeah. And then I applied for a couple of jobs. And then in October of 88, um, I did the... Um, public service entrance exam which you don't do any longer you did in those days and got an interview for the tax office in Chatswood and and joined them and have been gainfully employed in the tax office ever since as a small Sorry. business owner I have to say of course it's a great organization the yes, Australian yes. taxation absolutely, office absolutely. but it, but it really is because of their opportunities that they afford across gender and any form of disability Oh, absolutely It's true. an even playing field, right? It's absolutely. And you look at the people like I've just become, in the last four months, the Disability Advisor Officer for our Sydney site, which has 1,200 staff. And we have about 30 people who are disabled. And I think we, we gather this term of a person being disabled, but it's more people think of people with disabilities as the ones they can see. Yep. Like myself with a white cane, person in a wheelchair, person with one leg or one arm. It's the people who have the the cerebral palsies or the, the, the depression, who you see them there and go, yeah, nothing wrong with that person. And I think that's a very hard thing and to have an invisible disability as we call it, and we've got a few of them in our office, that you've just got to be able to work around that and, and be as managers. And this year we had the International Day for People with Disabilities theme in our office was you know, building the relationships and having the conversation. And how important that is to someone who may have an invisible disability who doesn't want to disclose that to the world, but needs to sort of say that to their manager or staff to be able to convey certain things to help them along in their in their workloads. In, and in order for them to be as productive as possible, <laughs> correct, both yeah. for their own self-esteem and and for the productivity of the workplace. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Because yeah. I don't <laughs> think anyone with a disability wants to not perform as best as what they can, because that gives them that confidence that I am capable of being as much of an active member here in this workplace as anyone else. Correct, and I think people with disabilities probably work harder at times because yeah. they have to because it's you have your times where you've got to work around things that happen and you know you have software problems like you know, software things like I do, obviously, that need to be able to read screens and work with... It works with some things and works with doesn't work with others and it's very difficult if people don't know that. And we, we brought in this year... A thing where on the systems between your manager and a person with a disability you can say the systems that you have and how they work and how they don't work and that's a really good thing it, it notifies to certain people that you want to give to them um, to show them that, that your disability you can do the work it's just that you need reasonable adjustment for it to work and let's face it we all need some help at some point or another absolutely even Every- even all those of us who are able-bodied and can see stuff still goes wrong for us Oh, absolutely. And people who, who are in businesses who you have years where things go go well, go badly, you know, and, and, and sometimes that might be something that's totally out of your control. You know, you have a stock market crash or, you know, you're relying Donald, upon... Donald Trump gets elected in America. Absolutely right. You know, how you get on with those, even people who are able-bodied, and how you get along as a group, because morale, I think, in a business is a really big thing. Even you're a group of people, you need to have good morale, you need to have good chemistry between people. You know, you've got to make sure that when you walk in that door that that you, you want to be there. Um, I think that's important for employers and, and employees. 
So do you think, do you think um, some, some, I mean, I've seen a couple of wheelchair basketball games yep. and they're brutal. Yeah. <laughs> they, there is certainly no sympathy for each mm. other. Um, I'm not sure they make many friends on that court. <laughs> do, do you think disabled sports uh, are harsher? Because you you just can. I mean, you're not going to feel sorry for each other, right? No, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think you, you watch that like, the what is it, the quad rugby in yeah in, in, in the in the Paralympics, and you think, crikey, they must end up like if you weren't injured before, you're going to be injured <laughs> after, right? <laughs> Hi everyone. Sorry to interrupt and just jump in here quite randomly. We're taking a quick break just to make sure that we let you know. Like us on Facebook, The Brew. Check out our videos with our brew guests making their favourite coffee behind the machine, or at least trying to. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes and tell your friends. The Brew. We might make some time and get back to our guest. So when did your your drive to be able to go into the open ocean and get pounded by waves and sand and bitten by blue bottles, <laughs> when did you discover that need um, to fulfil? I, well, I did a lot of swimming pool competitions for the blind and I just, it just didn't, um, for me, I was not going to be a sprinter and I, I realised that it took me six, seven years to work that one out. But I got, <laughs> I got involved in a, doing a swim from Palm Beach to Wild Beach and just loved it and thought, this is, this is fantastic. And... Conditions were great, you know, can't say they weren't, they were great. Um, not much waves, it was a great day, but it was from there. And then I went to do a swim in Narrabeen Lakes and that was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't very pretty, I have to say. It was um, after I had a national pollution spill and oh. we still swam. Um, and, um, but it was, it was from there really. And, and I met Des Renford and um, he's now passed away, he swam attempted the English Channel 19 times and completed it 19 times. Oh. And um, wow. he did that. His first attempt was when he was 43 years of age. And um, he did it for... And what was... At the age of 53 in 1980, he um, swam the English Channel three times in 11 days, which I think is yeah one of the great feats of how all long time. It, how long did it take him to swim at once? About between 12 and 13 hours each okay. time. So it's, a, it's a pretty big day. It's a big day. And, and to then think that you can get out and four days later and swim it again and there's no way that you can get 11 fine days in England. No. That's just impossible. So he has to have one bad day of weather somewhere in the, in that, in the three swims and I just think, what an incredible, and so uh, incredible, you know, at the age of 53 and in 1980 you didn't have things such as doctors and physios and dietary people like I had all those people to my age. He just went out there and did it every time and I went, I, I said to someone, I was lucky enough to do it once, but there's no way I could have backed up four days later. Not, not a hope in Hades. And I just think... So I, I met Des Renford and um, I met him and I thought, I want to swim the English Channel, but I didn't tell anyone because I knew that would create lots of uh, dramas that, you know, a blind person saying he wants to swim the English Channel. And I, I go back to 1997 because at the same time a mate of mine I met who's from America, um, Eric Wienmayer, I don't know that's the way it's pronounced, Said I want to. He's blind. Said I want to swim. I, he he wanted to climb Mount Everest, and uh, everyone thought, oh, this bloke's mad. So the two the two mad blind people were trying to do extreme things, and we both completed it. And uh, I think that. So was, he he climbed Mount Everest. Uh, yeah, in two thousand and one, and I did it in nineteen ninety eight. And, and um, you know, it's I, I I think back to, um, 
when, when I always said I want to swim the English Channel and I knew that would create a lot of laughter, people saying that's just impossible. And, and, and that's a dream you have and like everyone in business has dreams. But I go back to, what was it, 2015 Melbourne Cup when I hear Michelle Payne say, when I was six and seven I said at school, I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup. And everyone laughed at her. And I thought, I can relate to that, even though I was 25 years older than that. I could relate to, to that thought that you make a statement like, I'm going to swim the English Channel. And then you go out there and do it. And as she did, she won the Melbourne Cup. And, you know, um, I probably wasn't as brazen as her at the end. Um, <laughs> or probably didn't have the, right, the courage enough to say, uh, <laughs> which, you know, she rightfully said at the end of the race, which was great. And, and I, um, I think that was, I, I, I got some familiarities from that because it was about, you know, you make someone says this, I want to, you know, win the Melbourne Cup or I want to swim the English Channel. Or it may well be, I want to run my own business. And people may say, well, that's just... It's not going to happen. Well, why isn't it going to happen? Why why can't someone, you know, a female jockey win the Melbourne Cup? What's <laughs> it? It was always going to be much harder for you mm. than yeah. than other swimmers who can see. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. why didn't why didn't that phase you? I think it didn't. Or, or it did, did it? It it phased me because I knew how difficult the challenge was going to be. And I also was phased because I knew a lot of people would say, it's not going to happen, it's not going to work. So you have that fear of, someone said, did you have a fear of failure? And I say, I had a fear of failure of, because I knew people would say, I told you so, that you wouldn't do it. So maybe it was a fear of failure in my own mind. Um, but I, I had lots of moments about it. And, you know, you would always wake up, or you'd be in training and you'd be thinking, Wow, this this is a challenge, and, and and you know I say these things, but you know, and, and when I think, I hope it takes me fourteen hours, and I think fourteen hours, you know, and, and of, I think, of swimming uh, in swimming. the English Channel. That's correct. In, in the conditions, cold. yeah, that's right. And, and, and you think, and you've got boats from France. It's not. And it's Belgium. not Palm Beach to Whale Beach. No, no, yeah. it's not. Got one of the biggest shipping channels in the world. You know, with and France, they're not really going to care. They don't care. They whether, have right whether you can see or not. That is exactly right. Or and why you're even there. Correct. So, you know, you, 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 you're dealing with this problem. And you... So it, it's probably... That was your dream, I'm going to swim the English Channel. But it, it's only when you looked at it and thought, this is going to take 14 hours if I, do my, if I swim really, really well. And it's all about, wow, this is enormous to knowing that you're, you're relying upon the weather in the day, the temperature of the water, every boat out there doing the right thing for you you know it was an enormous challenge and then the other thing that you have is in the English Channel with a lot of the swims around the world is you can't touch anyone on the board the boat or the boat itself because that's deemed as assistance and that disqualifies you so you then have the next problem of how do we feed this bloke who can't see we can't <coughs> we can't chuck him a carbohydrate gel. No, because you're, you're not a you're not a dolphin, right? Correct. You're not going to retrieve. Correct. We can't chuck him the water bottle. We can't. You know what are we going to do with this bloke? And it's you know there's the story about um, Alison Streeter, the great English swimmer, who's from the English Channel 43 times. But but sighted. Uh, sighted, yeah. Right. And she she was a banker at the time, and they, they had she had to make some decision, some work decision. They threw the mobile phone. She caught it and she said yes, and threw it back and kept on swimming. Well, that's easy to do, you can see. Um, you know, I wasn't making any banking decisions in the middle of this channel. But, um, no, you were just trying to feed yourself and keep yourself alive. That's correct. Right? And, and, and so, 
And you know, so we used this swimming pool-like device thing that had ropes on the end, and they would, my group would lower it every hour for the first four hours, and every half an hour after that. And one rope had the water bottle, and one had an open-ended syringe, um, which had carbohydrate gel in it. So it's a bit like you're out there with your, you know, the steamer there, the the nozzle coming down, and in goes the milk type thing, and all the squeeze of the chocolate. That combined with seawater is just a beautiful oh extra yum. <laughs> yep, and and we tried different combinations of what would work like carbohydrate. We even tried one night in my pool at home, um, eating baby food. Um, that didn't last particularly long. That, mm. No, that that's another raise, enticing yeah, form of nourishment. But banana and carrot baby food didn't really hit the spot. No. So yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's a you know they, there were lots of those little problems that you well, major problems maybe that you had to deal with along the way. It, they always very encouraging. Um, I do remember at the twelve hour mark in the English Channel when my coach said, "You need to sprint, sprint at twelve hours." What do you think I've been doing? And um, I didn't realise, but if I sprinted in five, the next 500 metres and got past the sandbank, it was then a... If I missed the sandbank, it was another seven hours because the tide was changing. So I didn't know that and I didn't want to know that. So, you know, psychology is a big part of the game and to a blind person, you've got to make sure you keep the person focused because for me, if I lose concentration, it means you swerve more and you're swimming more. So concentration for me is... And hearing the whistles is is imperative because... You don't, you know, the the quickest point between, quickest straight line between two is a straight line between two points. Don't swerve because it's more swimming, and so that's really important. You need to be psychological about it, and you need to just keep keep you moving in that direction. And you know, sometimes it's just taking your your mind away from what you're doing. So you're incredibly <laughs> focused and mentally tough. Mm-hmm. And you need a team to get you there because you yep. don't you, you can't just rock up and do it yourself. That's never going to happen. No, by I, yourself. I, that's right. And the thing that I have found for me that that I, I found it probably a shame in my swimming career is I get the kudos for doing the swim, but I go yeah, but my team should get the kudos as well because the swim I would never do the swim if I didn't have someone there blowing a whistle, kayaking, or on a boat. It wouldn't all feeding me. It wouldn't wouldn't happen. You're 35 years old, yes. if we go back in time, and you're still living at home. Yes. Single. Yes, correct. But not for long. Not for long, no. In, in, um, I, my, my, one of my good mates at school enticed me onto a, I don't know if we should promote this, but a, a, a dating website. That's, and you went on a dating website. <laughs> I did, yes. And, um, another, another brave move <laughs> that, that many of us who are sighted wouldn't do because yes. we're scared. Well, and, you know, I think there were some advantages of not being able to see, you know, you're just listening to profiles and didn't worry about the pictures, you couldn't see them anyway. Well, you're not, you're not worried if they put a picture up that's like 10 years ago? Well, the thing was, my mate, the picture he put up of me was probably not the best photo, which was me at the end of the Manhattan swim, in swimmer's cap and goggles after swimming in the Manhattan sewerage system for, for seven and a half, oh. eight hours. Yeah. Not the most... Um, brilliant photo to uh, have on the system but yeah so I, I in 2004 I, I, I met um, my wife and we got married in April of 2005. So it was a rather quick courtship. <laughs> yes. And then and then you have a child. Uh, yes we have a child. So you, child. Have, you have a daughter. Yep she was born in March of 20, 2007 um, and I think that was another you know um, I found that was that's you know to me that was always going to be a very tough experience I was very nervous because of knowing how to handle um, a child and when you can't see. Do all those normal dad things that you can't see. 
Yeah, how you carry child? How you do nappy changing? He says. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, when the child gets sick, how you give medicine to a child? Um, yes, you know, so those things. You know, how you how you dress a child? I mean, when Annika was three or four, mum mum was away, and I had to take her to a birthday party, and I had to dress her. Did she have the dress on the right way round? Oh, the colour combination was the worst in history. You know, different coloured socks, pink and blue and... Which she would have thought was fun. <laughs> yes, and my wife, who then came to the party after we had got there, went, what were you thinking? I said, well, you fit it, didn't it? Did you say, <coughs> I can't see? <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I don't think that... Uh, no, she just had a bit of a laugh. I don't think she was, didn't really concern her. But, you know, it was like, well, I got it here. That's, that was my brief, wasn't it? Yes. But yeah. she's she's nearly ten now. She is ten next and month. Yeah, she's already a swimmer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And she's competing. Oh yeah, she does. Um, she's done a, a few um, pool swims where she's done three or three k's, um, and and did the uh, the Kuji Bay swim a couple of weeks ago. And so she's a chip off the old block. Oh uh, yes, and uh, so how soon before she's doing the English Channel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're trying to make me do what I did to my own parents, yes. And, and I so, think that's inevitable, James. Well, I think someone said that's going to come back to haunt you one day. Yes. I said, yeah, it probably is. And um, It doesn't seem to phase you at all. No, because I, I think that I've been very fortunate in, in my life and always having people around you me. You say fortunate. Yeah. You say fortunate, James. How can you say that? I can say fortunate because... I've been lucky enough to be involved in lots of different charities and when you go to things, when, I, when I've been involved in things such as going to youth off the streets functions or being invited to be part of the, the um, far west school at Manly, which I did for about eight years, and, and seeing kids who, who have come to Manly Beach, who coming from far western New South Wales and you know, tough, time, tough times in the bush and haven't had much schooling because of where they are. Or being involved in the Fred Hollows Foundation, which I had for 10, 11 years, and and seeing somebody in Pakistan who, where the young daughter has to look after the blind mother, father, grandfather, and when Fred Hollows come along and provides the clinic and and gives the the parent, grandparent, the sight back that the girl can now go off to school and get an education, and think, I just think that. I've held a full-time job for, what, 28 years? And when you consider that of the 91% of people blind who, who are working age, only 20% have a job. Um, and there are things like that that you see and see that, yeah, I, I'm blind and, and that's, that's something, but there are other people who, who are, um, are much worse off and you go, and sometimes it's good because you, you might have a really bad day at work or home or wherever. And then you see someone who's has a much worse disability than you do, and it gives you a bit of kick in the pants sometimes, which I think I need occasionally. Um, and I think that I just, yeah, I just think that I'm. You know, I get up and I go for a swim in the pool where people like me and swim with me, and I go to work and be with people who understand who I am, um, and then go home to a loving family who support me and allow me to go for a swim every morning. And I always think that's fortunate that, 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 I'm a, that my wife, you know, does all the things with my daughter to get her ready for school while I can go off for a swim. And, you know, and, 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 and supports me in, in the swims that I've done and supports me in those things and 
you've sold me on that one because having the loving family to support you in what you want to do is, I think, an amazing opportunity and you are very blessed. Well, uh, and I hope that we, we as, as children can continue that on and, and, and be that way and be loving towards our partners and towards our children. Um, you know, there are people out there, there are people who it's difficult times, you know, who, who have businesses where you need the support and love of, of family and friends. And just that, to get through. Just to get through a day. I, I, I don't think, I, I sometimes don't understand that I walk in and I walk in and, you know, there's loving family and we have a lot of fun and do whatever. And, you know, you get those experiences. And I remember the, the youth off the streets, Funch, I went to after some English Channel and it was a presentation night and there was a girl or a boy that had come back to his house for the first time in three years. And I thought, I might have my few moments with my parents, but I always walk back through the door every night. I thought, mm. And you're welcome. And I'm welcome. And you're welcome. That, and I'm welcome. That, and, and I thought, wow, that's, that sort of proves that you might have your own dramas in the background and your few arguments along the times, but you're welcome in your house and you walk through the door every night and you're welcomed. And, you know, I think that's an important... That was a real good thing for me to understand that night. You know, I, I think that's been good to be involved in charity, such as the Rainbow Club, where, which provides one-on-one swimming tuition to disabled children and... To see, for them to swim one lap is like the English Channel. And that's, or to actually even get their face in the water is, is, is outstanding. You know, that, that's, and that's what you have to market by, I think, is that James's dream is to swim the English Channel. This child's dream might be to get in and swim one lap of a pool. And that's, that's that's the the way you, the marker is, and I think that's an important thing to understand these people with different disabilities um, and what what means a lot and what what can be something incredible. We <laughs> want to thank you very much for your time today and thank you um, very much. sharing your stories yep. and your inspiration and motivation and the focus that's necessary just to achieve mm. so much more um, than what. We, weren't, we were or weren't necessarily born to do. Sure. So thank you for that. Thank you for having um, me. We hope to talk to you again. Absolutely. Not a lot more to say after this episode because even for me, it's like, wow. Thanks, James. Thank you. Catch you all soon. Thanks, James. And thank you for your hot chocolate. It was really good. We appreciate hearing your story and hearing your humour too on some of the challenges that you faced. Some of those really obvious challenges. That's the brew and that's James's story. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and check out the videos and follow our podcast on iTunes and review it please and share with your friends. Catch you soon.